But we're in our series uh, called Love Thy Neighbor. And really uh, what this series is about is relationships and how we can have the best relationships. And I, I, I think you guys will understand this. I think one of the weirdest times relationship-wise is that time where you leave the home or you graduate from high school and you kind of have to redefine the relationship with your parents. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like that, that moment where if you went off to college like I did, you go off to college and then you come back and they're like, yeah, you still have a curfew or that you still have this. And you're like, wait, whoa, I'm an adult now. And they're like, no, you're not. But, you know, that, that weird dynamic of where they're your parents, but you're kind of transferring over to a parent-friend relationship and there's these new lines and you can actually be offended by what they say now and they have to listen to it. Like it's a, it's a different deal. Like I, and I know it's a weird thing. And I remember one time on vacation when my dad and I were having an interesting argument and um, I don't know exactly, I don't remember exactly what happened, but he said something to me that I didn't like. And so I decided not to respond um, which was the wrong response. And so he said it again and again, and then I responded back. And basically we both were unhappy at the way that we responded. And so we actually reverted um, to fourth graders and uh, both of us stopped talking to the other one. Um, yes, my dad, who is in his 50s, and myself, who is in my 30s, uh, decided to stop talking to the other one on vacation. There's only six of us on vacation. It's me, my wife, my sister, her husband, and my mom and dad. And here's the, here's the difference, though. My dad doesn't like that. I am perfectly fine in awkward situations. Um, if you hang out with me long enough, I sometimes cause awkward situations because I think it's funny. Like, I'm, I'm okay with it. Like, everyone's feeling awkward. It's crazy. Like, me and my dad are in the same room. I'm just smiling. Like, I'm like, this is crazy. This is happening, and I am this old. And, like, and everyone's talking. My mom comes up to me, like, after a day. She's like, hey, you know your dad's not happy with you. I'm like, really? Oh, I didn't, didn't know that. And I'm like, but we're refusing to talk. We actually, we're at the beach. We go out in the water. We're the only two in the water, and we're just kind of sitting there. And neither of us will talk to the other one. It's, it's absolutely crazy. And then finally, at some point, my dad goes, are you going to talk to me? I'm like, well, I was waiting for you to talk to me because I figured you should come to me. He's like, well, I thought you should come. Anyway, the question everybody asks is who is wrong? And the answer is yes, um, both. <laughs> we were both wrong. We were both right. But it was one of those things where conflict easily caused all these issues. And the truth is, like, here, here's... Here's the truth. Many of us have a lot of conflict going on in our lives where we had that conflict, but we weren't on family vacation together, so we just left from it, and we've never brought it up again. And I I think every family's got a different way of dealing with conflict. Some of you, if you came from the South, it's like, here's some sweet tea. Now we're just going to sweep it under the rug. Nobody's going to talk about it. You know, you have the the side of where we just yell at each other, and then we feel better afterwards, even though we didn't solve anything. Or we just, you know, we avoid it, and we have different ideas of conflict. But here's the truth. If you want to have good relationships, you have to have conflict. You have to deal with conflict. Let me say that way. You're going to have conflict, so you better know how to deal with it. And the way that we have to deal with it is opposite normally of what we want to do and how we want to react. And so today we're going to look at kind of, you know, what does it look like in God's way? What does the Bible say about conflict? What does the Bible say about resolving these things? Because it's very different from my way of doing it. Because really when I go into conflict, it's about winning. And apparently that's not Jesus's way. So we're going to look at this. Romans 12, 2 says it this way. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Here's the truth, guys. In every situation, especially in conflict, many times God is trying to transform you. 
uh, the way you think, it says that there. And many times what we do is we're so focused on the other person and God's like, no, I'm going to work on you right now. And this is important to understand because conflict's gonna happen. There's no way you can step away from conflict. And the way that you deal with conflict now actually sets you up later on in life. I've had people ask, what can I do right now that will help my future marriage? Learn how to have conflict. If you can do that right now, it's huge. If you can figure out how to fight right now, if you can figure out how to resolve things right now, you'll be able to do it later on in life. I've seen so many people get married that have never seen conflict resolution. They've seen their parents not talk about it. They've seen people not talk about it. They just don't deal with it. And they go into marriage and the same thing happens. And so we've got to learn how to deal with those things. And the first thing I want to do is kind of look at the root of conflict. Uh, There's a lot of reasons we have conflict, but here's, I want to give kind of four big ideas. One is poor communication right? It's what we say uh, before that causes the conflict and what we say afterwards that adds to the conflict. Some of us in here are the type of people that just, you know, I'm just going to say whatever I want to say. It's just going to come out and it's going to be fine. And that's what you have to deal with. And there's conflict that happens. And then we just, we just add to it. We make it worse through our words. We're, we're the ones that are like, it's already bad. So I'm just going to make it really bad. We might, I might as well make it go that way. Oh, they're already mad. It's okay for me to, to add to it. And so our conflict, it's really, it's poor communication, either what we don't say or the way we say things. Um, Psalm 141.3, this is a great verse. Some of you should memorize it. Lord, guard my mouth, keep watch over the door of my lips. So here's why I like this verse. It says the door of my lips. What does a door have? A door has a handle. You choose to open and close a door, right? It doesn't just open and close. There's many people in this room that have probably said at one point, I just, I can't control what comes out of my mouth. It's just who I am. No, that is not true. We have a choice. We have a choice. You may have been told your entire life, oh, you're Irish or you're whatever, and so you can say whatever you want. You can say whatever you want, but that's not true at all. We have a choice in the matter. As a door can open and close, we have the choice whether or not to add to the flame or actually help it out. And here's the hard part about conflict is it's much easier to harm than it is to heal. It's much easier to add to the conflict than it is to deal with the conflict. Communication causes all kinds of issues. And on top of that, many times our conflict actually has to do with just expectations, It's, I expected you to be this. I expected you to do this for me. I feel like you owe me this. In fact, most relationships, the problem is expectations. I think they should be this. I think they should do this for me. James 4.1 says it this way. says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires that war within you? Here's what I believe happens many times. I believe that the people that we're most angry with out of expectations are the people that we're expecting to be God. And here's what I mean by that. Many times we put expectations on people that only God can fulfill. We expect people to be saviors in our lives. We expect people to love us in a certain way. We expect people to comfort us and protect us in ways that only God can. And so we put these expectations on people that they cannot live up to. And we hold it against them. And really what we should be looking is going, that's not something I ever should have put on that person in the first place. That's, only, that's something only God can deal with. It's the expectation side of things. And then right now, I really think in this world, it's just the differences that we have. You know, it's interesting today, differences are not tolerated as much as they were before. It seems like they are, but they're not. Because if you're different than me or you have a different idea than I do, then we are not going to be good on good terms. It's, it's kind of funny the way relationships work because you see people that are attracted to other people that are opposite. And at first, it's awesome. You're like, this person's the opposite of me. They bring the other side that's so great. And then after the relationship goes on, you're like, well, why won't they change to become like me? 
Like we have the friends that we look at and like if you're, if you're somebody that's like a homebody and you find somebody that like is always out and doing stuff, you're like, man, I wish I could do that. So you start hanging out with them. But then after a while you get tired of that too and you're like, well, why can't you just hang out with me? Or it's the other way around and you're like, man, I really need to rest. And so you're staying at home and you're like, how can you sit here? And we get mad. I mean, if you really want to get to a big side of it, look at the, polit- the political realm. I mean, it's coming around again. I can't really talk about these things as a pastor. Actually, with a nonprofit, we're not allowed to give political advice. But what's crazy to me is is no longer this idea that I can see your side, I can see your point of view. It's you're evil. And it's, it's separating so many things. And here's what's going to happen. It's going to separate the church too. It's going to separate close friendships. I've seen it separate families. Because we can no longer see the other side. We have to be able to see the other side and go, I understand why you believe that. I don't, I don't agree with it, but I understand why you believe it. And we need to continue to allow opposing views into our life. Uh, President Lincoln uh, said, did this. He goes, after he got elected, he actually took the person that he lost to and put him on his cabinet. Why? Because he wanted to make sure he saw the whole picture. Whenever we decide, whenever we get to a point where we think we know everything and the other side is absolutely wrong, we're missing something. We're missing something. And actually, we've allowed pride to come into our hearts, and it messes with us. And it gets to a point where, like I said, it can wreck churches and families. Mark 3.25 says it this way. It says, if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. If we decide that some issue that really isn't the biggest issue with what matters today, because the biggest issue is Jesus and whether or not people know that. If we allow an issue outside of that to divide us, we are literally allowing, we're literally doing the work of the devil for himself. Like we're doing it ourselves. We, he doesn't even have to do anything. We, he just, he's doing, we, we don't like people. We decided that their difference is bad. And so we're deciding to go, you know what? I don't care what you believe on these other issues. This issue is going to allow me to move away from you. So we don't like differences. And at the bottom of it, we all sin, right? It, here's what's interesting to me. We've all done this. We've all gone into, you know when you have to tell somebody that they're doing something wrong or you're trying to point out something that's not right about them or they've done something. And so you start the conversation. We've all done this with, you know, you know, I'm not perfect. Or we say something like, you know, I've messed up a lot as if that just makes everything okay for them. All that did was tell them you're about to tell, tell me something mean. Like that's, that's all that does. But we've all done it. We're like, I'm not perfect, but this, but here's what's interesting to me. We all know we're not perfect, Right. We all know we sin, but every relationship we go into, we expect that person to be perfect. We don't expect people to hurt us, right? We don't expect people to do anything that would hurt us in any way. And when they do, we go, how dare you? You are supposed to be perfect. We know we sin. We know we're probably going to hurt that person. But when somebody does it to us, we go, we are surprised by it. And so if we all sin, if we all do this, then we have to figure out how to resolve conflict because the way we do it is not right. I mean, there's a couple different ways that we go after. I mean, it's, it's some, the way that I tend to go after is it's going to be my way. You know, I want to win the argument no matter. I, have you ever gone into argue about three quarters of the way, realized you're wrong, but you wanted to win anyway? I've done that. Not with Chrissy. But I've definitely done that. And so you have the people that always want to win. Then you have the other side, the people that are like, oh, I'll just give in to everything they say. You're the people pleaser. But on the inside, there's like a ticking time bomb. <laughs> And you're unhappy. And then there's the other side of, I'll just let them win some, and then I'll win some, which sounds good, but really all it ends up being is you're happy some of the time and angry some of the time. And, and really there is another way, and I know it sounds kind of cheesy, but it is God's way. It's the, the idea that there's something higher, there's something better that we should be going for outside of winning or not winning. This means 
what we do with conflict is instead of going after that person first, instead of trying to find their weaknesses, instead of trying to manipulate the conversation, we take things to God first. Um, Ecclesiastes 3 Verse 1 and then verse 5 says this, says there's a time for everything, a season for everything under the heavens. And it goes on to list a bunch of things. And one of the things listed there is a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, which doesn't make any sense if you don't understand this point. It's like, when has there ever been a time to scatter stones? It's like, is that in the parking lot as I'm kicking them? Like, what's, what, what is it that is time to scatter stones and a time to gather them? Here, here let me give you this idea. When we go into an argument, what do we do? We, we basically, we take stones of what they've done wrong, things that we can go after, and we have a choice. We can throw them, or we can put them in front of God. See, what they had back in Old Testament days, they would build altars. They would take stones, and they would build them up. And one you see in different instances where they took stones, and they built them up, and it was a way of worshiping God, but also putting the problem in God's hands. And one of the things we can do is we can take all the stones that we're about to throw, and we can put them in front of God and say, which of these matter? And we actually see this in the Bible with a guy named Jacob. Jacob had a very interesting story. See, Jacob wanted to marry this girl named Rachel. And Rachel was apparently incredible. Like, and when I say incredible, she had to be incredible because he went to the dad named Laban. And he said, I want to marry your daughter, Rachel. And he said, sure, you need to work for me for seven years. I don't know many men that would be like, okay, sure. Seven years of hard labor. She's that awesome. Like, it just doesn't, that's not something that we see today. And so he does, he does seven years of work and then his marriage happens. And this is kind of where it gets a little bit weird and you're wondering if Jacob was paying attention, but like he had his marriage night and then the next morning he woke up and he was like, oh, that's not Rachel. That's her sister, Leah. Like he didn't realize it that night. He waited till the morning and went, oh, oh, I didn't realize that was you. And so he was mad though. He was mad. He went to the dad and he's like, hey, what's going on? He goes, well, Leah's the older one. I have to marry her all first. But if you want to marry Rachel, here's the deal. You can do another seven years. So like I said, Rachel must have been amazing. 14 years of labor. 14 years, like he's waiting for her. Like, I can't imagine what it was like for Rachel. Like any conversation where somebody's like, oh, well, this guy really loves me. And she goes, well, that guy's working for 14 years just to marry me. Like it, she won everything at that point. And literally 14 years in, Laban still is messing with, here, here's the deal, 20 years in, 20 years in, he's still messing with Jacob. Jacob's like, I'm done. He takes all of his stuff, all the sisters that he's married at this point, all the kids, and he leaves. He leaves and he, he's mad and he takes off and he takes stuff with him. He's going down the road. He's, he's a good ways and he finds out Laban's coming after him. And he has a choice at this point. This is not just a normal, like we think, oh, this is like just two guys who have a fight. And many at this time, if you had any sort of money, you almost had small armies. And so they both, both probably had small armies. And the idea was he's coming after him. And Jacob's probably going, I worked for this man for 20 years. All he did was mess with me. We're going to take him out because I already know he's coming. Or he could have done what he did. This is what he did. Genesis 31, 46, he said to his relatives, gather some stones. So they took stones and piled them in a heap and they ate there by the heap. That sounds weird, but they made an altar. Here's what Jacob did. He goes, this man's done a ton of things that were wrong to me, but I'm going to put it in front of God and he's going to decide what's important. He's going to decide if this is a fight that I should have, if this is something that I should deal with right now. See, what we need to do when we're going into conflict is we lay these things in front of God and we allow God to resolve it in our hearts first. See, here's what happens many times in conflicts is we have this, we have this one thing that we, we're, we're, we go, I... 
I am good as long as they say this, or I'm good as long as they say they're sorry for this, or I can't be happy until this happens. And here's what God allows us to do is we can lay that in front of God and he can resolve it in our hearts so that we can continue a relationship. See, only God can do that. And here's the truth in this is many times we don't understand this. Conflict can't continue without us, right? Like if you go, you win, they can't continue the conflict. Like you, you would go, you win. They're like, no, no, no. I want to continue to argue. That does happen sometimes. But like conflict can't continue without you. If you decide that the relationship's more important, if you decide that this conflict is no longer the most important thing right now, the relationship is what matters and God is what matters in your heart, you actually can give that conflict up and it can't continue without you. You have an opportunity to do that. And here's what I believe. Many times the role of Christians in conflict is to do this. And I, I know I'm losing many of you right now. I know I'm losing you because I, I believe this. It was all about the relationship. Think about it, what Jesus did. Jesus set all of his expectations aside so that he could restore relationship between us and God. I think sometimes in conflict, we have to set expectations aside so we can restore relationship. And sometimes we're restoring a relationship that's going to lead to a relationship with God. I mean, think about your family members. Think about your friends. Think about the conflicts that you have right now and what they look like. What could be happening right now, and I'm not saying this is in every scenario, but God's working on your heart to resolve that conflict so that he can use you to show them him. And through that conflict, through that resolution, they get to see the heart of God. See, we're so worried about God going, God, change them. God's like, no, I'm gonna change you. I'm gonna change you. I'm gonna start with you, and then I may change them. But God's more interested in changing our heart than he is about changing theirs. So, so how do we respond in conflict? How, how, do, how do we go after? And really, it, it starts with this. We decide that we're no longer just going to react. We're going to decide to act. And I know that sounds weird. Here's what I mean by that. We have a plan ahead of time. Like, you have a plan to, of argument? Yes, you do. You have some things that you have already decided, I will do this and I will not do this. And Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 actually gives us one of these. It says, in your anger, do not sin. Here, here's the deal. Many times in conflict, we go, but I was angry. Never do you see in the Bible, God go, oh, you're angry? That's fine. Nobody ever gets angry and sins when they're angry. He goes, no, in your anger, it doesn't matter if you're angry. You still don't sin. He says, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. One of the things that we have to decide about conflict is we're not going to let it linger. It says right here to deal with it that day. If you can deal with it that day, you do that. But if you have somebody that needs to process and needs to deal with it, you go, okay, you need to process, that's fine. We're gonna deal with it tomorrow at this time. Because, my wife's laughing because I'm a, more of a processor. But that, and that's the way, and if she, she comes at me, then I'm just gonna win the argument because I'm not happy at that point. But anyway, that's the way, some of you understand. They're like, if you're not gonna let me process, you're gonna get a whole bunch of not good stuff. And so, but that's what we do. You have people that need to process and you. So this is when we're gonna deal with it. You're gonna process it and you have to process it. And we're gonna deal with it tomorrow at this time. We're gonna deal with it, why? Because if we allow things to linger, it starts to fester. It starts to tear apart the relationship. In fact, the longer you allow it to linger, the more likely you're not gonna deal with it anyway. The longer you allow it to linger, the more likely you're going to decide that that relationship isn't worth fighting for in the first place. So we have to not allow the devil to get a foothold there. Here's another one. Never call somebody a name in a fight. Uh, here's what's crazy. I will forget what fights are about, but I will remember what names I was called. And here's what you're doing when you're calling somebody a name. You're taking the position of God and deciding who they are. You're deciding not only who they are right now, but who they will be. 
I mean, we talked about it the other week with gossip. How the problem, one of the biggest problems with gossip is every time somebody tries to move forward, we go around the back and we tell everybody what they've been doing. Gossip doesn't allow someone to grow. Gossip doesn't allow someone's heart to change. When we give people names, we're deciding that they're not going to change. This is who they are. Another one is raising your voice. And this is something that I know some people will not be okay with. Chrissy and I, when we went into marriage, this was something we had to deal with. Chrissy comes from a loud family, just loud. A lot of women, very loud. Add wine, much louder. Thanksgiving is nuts. Like, it's just a loud family. And so in her mind, argument, if you care, you're loud. My family was the other side. If you raised your voice, you immediately lost. Like, you lost. It was, you're not showing respect, you lose. And so we got married, and this is awesome. She's yelling, I'm staying here. Both of us are offended by what we're doing. She's mad that I'm not yelling because she thinks that means I don't care. I'm offended that she's yelling, so I just stay in one place. And so she would continue to yell till I finally yelled, and then she was like, oh, fine, you now get it, but I'm mad, and it's not going to end well. We had to get to a point where it's like, no, 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 yelling is not okay. In fact, when you yell, you start to get emotional. What's the problem with emotions? It causes us to say things and do things that we shouldn't be saying anyway. We've got to decide in that moment, if we need a second to calm down, then we take a second to calm down. And on top of that, one of the things that emotion brings is we got to make sure we don't get historical. Some of you are awesome at this. I've definitely done this. How you're doing this? Yeah, but you did this 10 years ago. What does that have to do with right now? Absolutely nothing. But that's what we do. In fact, many of us, we get historical whenever we feel like we're losing the fight. That tends to be the time where it comes in. It's like, oh man, they're right. Well, you did this. But it's another thing. It's not dealing with the actual problem, is it? It's dealing with something that we should have dealt with before. And on top of that, it's something that we never do is we never say never or always because we're deciding what something will be and will always be in that moment. It's where they are right now. It's not who God can make them. And so we've got to go into fights going, okay, I know what I'm going to do. I know what I'm not going to do. I know what I'm going to say. I know what I'm not going to say. And we go in that way. And then the next thing, this is, guys, this is a tough thing to do. We focus on the good parts of people, of that person's character. Because the last thing you want to do when you're mad at somebody is focus on the good things, right? But it's the reason you were friends with them in the first place. It's the reason you cared about them in the first place. And if we start to focus on the good parts of that person's character, we understand what we're actually fighting for. Because if you focus on the negative, you lose sight of what you're fighting for. When you focus on the good, you're going, okay, we need to fight so that we can restore this relationship. Focus changes everything. It's kind of like, like when you're driving in an awful place like I-4. I think I-4 was created just to give us a glimpse of hell. Like just what it's going to be like. And then God created the I-4 275 deal right there just to just go, it could get worse. And so... Like, like I-4 is just awful. And we, we go through I-4 a lot because Chrissy's family is in Daytona. And so we're going through I-4 and you just know, like something's going to happen. And the simplest thing, like one person gets in a wreck at the other end of I-4 and it backs up all the way to Tampa just because it's an awful road that's just sadistic. And so every time I get, it's one of those things when you start driving it, I, I don't do well with traffic and all this stuff. And I, I know that's most people, but I don't. And I start to get mad and I start to go, what's wrong with these people? And why can't we move? And Christy's just sitting there going, why are you getting so mad? This happens all the time. And I'm like, shut up. And so I didn't say, I may have said that, but I remember one time literally getting in the car and going, you know what? It's okay. If we have traffic, that's fine. I've got this book that we downloaded on Audible. If anything, I'll get to learn more about God while we go. And I, ahead of time, I'm like, we're just going to be fine. I remember we hit traffic in Lakeland because that's where it starts. And we hit it, and Christy's like looking at me. I can just see her just going. 
And I was fine. Why? Because I decided ahead of time. My focus was different. I'm like, you know what? It's fine. I get time in the car. We're going to talk. It's going to be okay. My son, this is not going to be the time that he hears me curse for the first time. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. But it was my focus. And here's what we can do in, in, in conflict is when we start to focus on the good things, it changes the way we view that person. Because when in conflict, what we end up doing is we vilify them, right? We make them evil because it makes sense why we should go after them so well if they're this evil person. Philippians 4, 8 says it this way. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. See, we got to get to the point where we go, okay, that person is not evil. That person is actually somebody that's supposed to be in my life. And on top of it, they're God's child. God's got a plan for their life. And apparently I'm in their life to probably help that. And so we, we got to look at it in a totally different way. When we go into the fight, it, it'll be amazing how different your conflict will be if you go in going, I love you. I mean, you may not say it right off the bat because it'll freak them out, but maybe you do. And maybe that's a new way of arguing that I just haven't gotten into yet. But it's this idea, you go and you go, I love this person, so I'm going to deal with this right now because I can't stand not having a relationship right now. I think it's better for us to have a relationship than it is to have this conflict right now. Now, the last thing that we've got to do is definitely the, the hardest thing. It's, I've got to give the same amount of grace that God has given me. Um, that's not easy. In fact, not many people wanted to hear that. And people would literally ask Jesus questions like, how many times should I forgive someone? You talk about grace and grace is fine. Like I understand we should forgive some people. And they said seven times because seven times was the amount that you were supposed to do it according to law. And Jesus said 77 times seven. And immediately some people were doing math and going, okay, it's this many times. But the idea that Jesus was going, he goes, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm forgiving you of everything. You can choose to forgive people of the same amount. And we see Jesus talking about this in the Bible in parable form. He's talking to uh, a group and he says it like this. He goes, there was a man that owed incredible debt. They said it was like millions of dollars in today's money to this other man. The guy brings him ahead of him and he goes, hey, you owe me millions of dollars. So my choice is this. Back then, this is what they could do. I'm going to sell you into slavery, your wife and your kids into slavery. And I'm going to get whatever, I'm going to recoup whatever money I can get. The guy literally fell to the ground and says, please, please, please don't do that. I'll do whatever you want. And in that moment, he felt pity on him and he forgave him of the debt. Well, the guy who just had his debt forgiven gets up and he goes out and he finds somebody that owes him $1,000. And it says in the Bible, he literally grabs him by the neck and says, you owe me this money right now. And if you don't pay it, I'm going to hand you over to the authorities. And that's exactly what he did. He goes, they couldn't pay it. So he hands them over right after being forgiven. Well, the guy that forgave all the big debt finds this out and he brings him. He goes, how dare you do that? And here's the entire picture here. This is exactly what we're doing with God. God's like, I have forgiven you of your entire life and you're refusing to forgive someone for a moment. And, and get this here. I, I'm not saying all things are on the same level of how easy and how hard they are to forgive. I'm not talking about the big things right now. I'm talking about the everyday things that break up relationships. Talking about the everyday conflict that we deal with that we choose in that moment that it's more important for me to be right in this moment than it is for me to have this relationship. God's going, you need to forgive that. You need to move past that in the same way that I did. 
Romans 12, 19 to 21 says it this way. It says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. That sounds great, right? Um, God's got the wrath, but it never happens in the time that we want it. Um, On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, I got to say this. I have taken that verse wrong for so many years. Because here, here's my mind. I'm going to feed him and I'm going to thirst him and then guilt is going to overwhelm him like, like burning coals on his head. I'm like, yeah, I'm getting to him. No, actually heaping burning coals on someone's head was actually, a, it was just a phrase that was used to bless someone because back then fire was a very important thing. You couldn't, you couldn't make any food. You couldn't make any clay pots, whatever it may be. Like fire was very important. So when it says you're heaping burning coals on your head, it's saying you're blessing them. You're blessing them. It says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What is the standard for which we should do things? If someone hates us, we bless them. Which is not what we want to do. But God's going, it's more important to keep the relationship. It's more important for them to see me. It's more important for them to understand what level of forgiveness they have if they come to me because they see the level of forgiveness that you're able to give them. See, every time I remember how much God's forgiven me is every time I realize how much I for, should forgive others. And just, uh, just for a moment, there's a crazy verse in the Bible that says, if you choose not to forgive others, then God won't forgive you. So it's like one of those points where you decide not to forgive a small thing. God's like, cool, um, then we're separated right now. You lose relationship. When we decide not to deal with these things, when we decide not to forgive, we decide not to have a relationship with God. God's like, that forgiveness is what I want to give you all the time. But the same way that I've forgiven you, the same way that I dealt with the conflict that was happening between us, you have to deal with that same amount of conflict. Because it's not possible to have a relationship without conflict. It's not possible to live this life without conflict. It's not possible to do something great for God without conflict. So if we understand how to deal with it, we set things in place ahead of time, it basically allows us to do life so much better and allows us to keep what God wants us to keep the most, which is relationship. Let's pray. God, I thank you. Um, I thank you that you are a God that loved us so much. Um, You're a God that uh, really cares more about our hearts, cares more about our thoughts than he does about us winning a conflict. God, I pray that we could get on the same boat. God, I pray that we could see Jesus as he, as he is, someone that left all the expectations aside, someone that decided that it was more important for us to have a relationship with you than it was to be right. God, I pray that we can show that same love and that same care in the relationships around us. God, I pray right now that you would convict our hearts. You would show us some people in our lives right now that we are separated from through conflict. God, I pray that we would go into it the right way. We would search for ways to restore those relationships and those friendships and those family members that we've lost along the way. God, I thank you that you're a God that can help us through that, can give us the courage to do that and transform our hearts in such a way that we're able to do it in a way that we never were before. God, we thank you in that. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen.